Well, it is uh, always a great thing to be back in Colorado Springs and to be able to look out and to see Pikes Peak and just to take in the beauty. But it is in particular good to be back at Rocky Mountain Calvary and to spend some time with my brothers and sisters here worshiping the King. You know, it's a, it's a desperate need that we have to spend time in worship. And so I am so grateful for the worship team and the job that they do here. It's, uh, it's so needed. So recently, I took three friends of mine out to, to dinner. One was a Sunni Muslim, <clears throat> one was a Shia Muslim, and one was a Zaidi Muslim. <clears throat> now, one of the things you might want to understand right off the bat is that oftentimes, the Sunni, the Shia, and the Zaydis don't necessarily get along too well. So it might not have been the smartest idea that I ever had, but I went ahead and did it anyway. And we're sitting in the restaurant, waiting for our food to arrive, and my three friends began to engage in a conversation. And this conversation quickly became emotional. And their voices began to rise, and the tension at the table began to elevate, and they got more and more heated, and before I knew it, they had shifted into Arabic, and it looked like to me that things were going to quickly spin out of control. So I did the only thing that I could think to do. I was like, whoa, whoa, time out, time out. Come on, guys, English, English, I don't speak Arabic. Well, it worked. It broke the tension. It got things calmed down, but at that point, my Sunni friend looks across the table and he looks at the other two guys and he says, okay, guys, watch this. I'm going to trap him now. Trap him now. I'm thinking, what? I thought we were just coming out to eat some dinner, have some fellowship, enjoy each other's company. And this guy's talking about wanting to trap me. Wonder what's coming. That's when he turns and he looks at me and he says, hey, John, who is Jesus? That was his trap. Who is Jesus. Well, that, my friends, after all, is the ultimate question. Who is Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we draw near to your throne. Because we need your help. We rejoice that you have given us your perfect law that gives freedom. God, we need your help to open it up to us. So we are asking, God, that you would help us see Jesus. That you would help us here tonight to become like John the Baptist, who said he must increase and I must decrease. So God, I just ask that you would just help us to focus on him tonight. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I am certain that many of you in this room tonight are very similar to me in that you probably have a passage 
in the Bible, a verse or a series of verses or maybe a chapter in the Bible that God has used in your life in a profound way to impact you personally or to impact your relationships or possibly he gave you a passage that took you, as it were, through the valley of the shadow of death. And because of that, that particular section of Scripture has become very meaningful to you, so much so that you might even be able to say, hey, this is my favorite verse or my favorite passage in all of the Bible. Now, because the Bible is so awesome, and because it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts, you're probably like me, and you have probably many such passages in the Bible that you can point to and say, this is my favorite. This is good stuff. Pay attention. This could have a powerful and dramatic impact on your life. Well, tonight it is my privilege in our Bible study to take you to a passage that I can honestly say, for me, this is my favorite passage in the Bible. This is some good stuff. Pay attention. This could have a dramatic impact on your life. So that being said and building it up that way, if you guys will turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to be taking a look at verses 19 through 23. And as you are turning there, I want to set the stage a little bit. In this passage, there's a lot of gold nuggets, some good stuff. But one of the key things that I want us to focus on in this passage, the Apostle Paul is going to open up and he's going to let us in on what makes him tick. He is going to tell us what is the passion and the driving force for his life. Now, I find that compelling and I find that very exciting because the Apostle Paul is one of the ones that the Lord used to impact the entire known world, to turn the world upside down. And his life is still resonating almost 2,000 years later. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to have a life that impacts the world. I don't want to settle for something small because I have, what, a great God. And I want to have a life that resonates long after I am gone. So here tonight, we have the opportunity to take a look at what it'll take to have that kind of life. Now, before we delve into the passage, though, there's one other thing I need to do. I need to address those of you that might be here tonight, and it might be possible that you do not know Jesus. May I simply say this to you? He is everything. And he knows you to the very core of your being. And despite knowing everything about you, he still wants you. Now, you might want to come up to me later tonight, and you might want to ask me a question. You might say, now, wait a minute, John, you don't know me. 
You don't know the thoughts that I've had. You don't know the things that I've done. How can you possibly say that God would want me? Well, I would tell you this, that God the Father looked down at me, John Kirby, the terrible, horrible, rotten sinner to the core of my being, and he said, I want that man in my family. And I will do whatever it takes. And that's when God the Son said, may I? And the Father said, you shall. And the most extraordinary event in the history of the universe occurred. Jesus got up off of his throne in heaven and he came down to this speck of dust and he became a man. And you might be saying, now wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought you said he was God. He is God. He's also man. And you might say, now wait a minute, how can he be God and man at the same time? I don't know. But that's who he is. And then he proceeded to do something that nobody else in the history of mankind has ever been able to do. He proceeded to live a perfect life. Never once even coming close to committing any kind of sin. Even though he was tempted and tested in every way just like us. And then he did something that just blows my mind. He allowed us, his creatures, to take him, to spit in his face, to ridicule him, abuse him, beat him, torture him, and to ultimately nail him to a cross. And somehow, some way, while he was on the cross, your sin, my sin, was transferred onto him. And you might ask me how that happened. I don't know how it happened. I just know that that's what happened. And when the sin of mankind was resting upon Jesus Christ, God the Father poured out his holy, righteous wrath onto his Son. And when it was spent, Jesus said, It is finished. And then he did something that keeps blowing my mind. He died. You might say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you said he was God. How can God die? I don't know. But he did. And three days later, he got up. He defeated death. And that is why the Bible says to you, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. He is the only source of life. Now that we've dressed people that might not know Jesus, Let's get into the passage and continue our study in the Word tonight. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Paul starts off by making a pretty extraordinary statement. For though I am free from all men. Now let's stop right there. That sounds pretty sweet to me. To be that free, free from all men, 
to have that kind of freedom. It reminds me a lot of Martin Luther King Jr.'s great speech on the mall in Washington, D.C. when he quoted a hymn that said, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. You want freedom? There's only one source. Paul has that kind of freedom. Let's see what he does, though, with his freedom. I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. Wow, now that sounds a bit like Paul's touched. Maybe he's a little bit crazy. At least in the eyes of the world, that's exactly what they would be thinking. How can you take your freedom and then make yourself a slave? Who does that? Well, it reminds me of the story of two young men who lived a little over 200 years ago. And they were part of the Moravian movement. And the Moravians were my kind of people. Uh, In today's vernacular, they might say that they were Jesus freaks. This was a group of people that started a prayer meeting that went 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year for 100 years. Why? Because they knew that without God, nothing happens. And there arose from this group of people, two young men, that God put on their heart an island that was owned by an atheist where he had a plantation and over 3,000 slaves. And God put those slaves on these young men's heart to bring the gospel to them. But the landowner would refuse to allow any Christian to step foot on his island. So they hit upon a plan. They went to him and they said, okay, I tell you what we'll do. We will sell ourselves to you. We will become your slaves. Just like all your other slaves. And we will live out our lives in servitude. This shocked the atheist. And he wasn't sure about this. And so he said, look, I can buy slaves over there all day long, and I don't have to pay any shipping costs, so I'm not sure I'm going to take you up on your offer. They said, that's okay, that's okay. We'll take the money that you pay us to buy us, and we'll use that to buy our own ticket to the plantation. At that point, he said, okay. We have a deal. They go down to the boat docks to get onto the ship to take them to the island to become slaves with the other slaves so they could bring the gospel. And some people were like scratching their head thinking, wait a minute, I don't quite understand this. What are you guys doing? This doesn't make any sense to me. Why? And they said, the lamb is worthy. They had read this passage. They got it. 
You know, at this point, I'm feeling like I need a little bit of help in making my point. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the video monitors here, and we're going to watch a, a short video. Says, My king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him. For yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. good stuff. And the question to every one of us in the room tonight is, do you know him? Do you know him? 
I can take us for a moment into another passage in Jeremiah, in chapter 9, the Lord says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not the rich man boasts of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this that he knows and understands me that I am the Lord. Amen. Is it stunning and it's shocking? It is amazing that the God of the universe is saying, Come and know me. Come and know me. Come and know me. He is bigger than any ocean. He is deeper than any ocean. And even with all eternity, we will never be able to come to fully knowing Him. But yet, that's what He has made us for, to come and know Him. Let's drop down real quickly in our passage tonight. We'll come back to verses 20 through 22, but let's take a quick look at verse 23. Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. All things, everything I do is for the sake of the gospel. He's letting this in. Here it is. The driving force, the passion of his life. It's the gospel, so that I may become a feller, fellow partaker of it. But what's he saying there? Is he saying, now wait a minute, is he saying that he needs to be saved again, a fellow partaker of it? Is he not, if he's the apostle Paul, is he not already saved? Of course he is saved. And what does he mean by when he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel? In this case, I really believe that Paul is saying that the gospel is Jesus. That's what the gospel is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's, I do all things for Jesus. I want to be a fellow partaker of Jesus. I need Jesus all day, every day. I cannot make it without Jesus. That's why it says in Hebrew, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's why Jesus says in John 15, you can do nothing apart from me. So we don't get saved and all of a sudden turn on some switch and start working our way towards perfection. No, we need Jesus, we need Jesus, we need Jesus, we need Jesus. We can do nothing apart from Him. And how much power does He have? Psalm 8, what does it say? It says, the galaxies, the universe, the stars were the works of His fingers. He didn't even break a sweat. It's like a child doing uh, finger painting. It was nothing for him. This is the kind of power he has. 
That is why the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do nothing apart from him. So Paul naturally has figured out, I want to be where Jesus is. I want to hang out where Jesus hangs out. Because I need him. And I want to know him. And I want to grow in my relationship with him. How do we do that? God says that he inhabits the praise of his people. When we come here and we worship him, he is here. That's why we're desperately in need of worship. He is here. And we can know him. He says, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, what does he say? I am there. You want to be with Jesus? Get with two or three other people and spend some time in prayer. He will be there. He said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, and it's the scriptures that point to me. You want to know Jesus and spend time with Jesus, you have to get into the Word. And what does he say in Matthew chapter 28 when he gives us the Great Commission? He says, go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have taught you and what? Lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. You want to be with Jesus? Go make some disciples. That's where he's at. You want to be with Jesus? Go into the Sunday school classrooms and be one of the teachers to the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth graders. You want to be with Jesus and making disciples, get involved in the Nehemiah project that they do here and go out and serve the community and become a slave to all men in order that you might win some. And if you're crazy and you're like the Springers, you might go to some place in Africa and do it over there. All right, let's quickly take a look at verses 20 through 22. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law as under the law, though not myself being under the law, so that I might win those who were under the law. To those who were without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. Why is Jesus where disciples are being made? Because Jesus' passion is people. Why is Paul becoming a slave to all men? Because his king, because his Lord, 
passion is people. And he wants to be with him. And so these are some of the ways that he goes about doing it. Now, I might give you a few suggestions on how you might think about applying this. I'll paraphrase uh, some of this, and I might put it this way. To those who eat, I eat. I eat all things with all people at all times in order that I might win some. I sometimes refer to this as my ministry of eating. That's why you can see that I have such a large waistline. Sometimes when I go and eat with people, it's glorious. It's glorious in the food, I mean. It's always glorious because I'm with people and I have the opportunity to talk about Jesus with them. One such time recently, I went with 16 guys from the Middle East. I was the only American there and it was an all-meat cookout. Now, when I say the food was glorious that time, it was really glorious. And we had a great time, and there was opportunity for me to be a witness of Jesus Christ to these guys. Now, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. One time I was in a village in Indonesia, and the head guy in the village said, hey, we want you guys to come and eat in our home, his hut. And so we went, and we were sitting there on the floor, and as we were waiting for the food to be prepared, uh, the daughter came in with a plastic bottle that they had gotten that was filled with this brownish liquid. And my friend said to me, oh, they've made us tea. I said, oh, no, 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 that's the water. That's the water. And they poured us water, and we drank the water. Why would we do that? That doesn't make any sense except for one thing, Jesus. That's why. One time I was asked by a friend of mine to tie flies. I don't know. Some of you are probably going to get mad at me here. You might tie flies. You might like tying flies. Let me tell you, I hate tying flies. Oh, my word, do I hate tying flies. It's tedious. It's, it's little details. and Oh, it just drives me insane. But my friend, he ties flies. To those who tie flies, I'm going to go tie some flies. Let me tell you, we'd been three hours tying flies, and the gospel hadn't come up at all yet. And I'm like, God, come on, please. I spent three hours. Give me an opportunity, an opening. Let me talk about you, please. But that's what you do. You go and get on people's turf. You don't think of yourself, you're the slave. You take what Jesus did in Philippians 2, what does it say? He humbled himself and became a man, became a slave, came to serve, serve you, serve me. He's calling us all to the same thing the same thing so in wrapping up my encouragement to you tonight is take Jesus up on his offer take him up come and know me come spend time with him 
And if you happen to be here tonight, as we mentioned earlier, and you, you came in, you wandered in by accident or mistake, or some friend invited you and you somehow ended up here, and you, you are kind of curious about the things that we've talked about, we invite you after uh, we wrap up here to come up and uh, talk to one of the pastors on the sides of the room and ask any question you might have. And if you're here tonight and you've been going through some particular difficult time or issues or problems, come up to and talk to the pastors. Spend some time in prayer asking God to come in and intervene and be a part of your problem and your issue. One other thing, we're going to be having a communion tonight. I think that's pretty cool. This is what is communion about. It is an opportunity for us to remember Jesus and the things that he has done for us. Communion is open, and it's self-served. But I would challenge you as you come up and you take the cup and you take the bread to go back to your seats and spend some time reflecting on your Savior. Spend some time in prayer before you consume the cup and the bread. And while the communion is going on, the band, uh, the worship team will be back out uh, leading us in some worship. So stay as long as you want. And when you're finished in your time with God, you're dismissed. So let's pray. We are amazed, we are stunned, that you are even mindful of our existence, that you know every hair on our head, that you desire to have a relationship with us. So we pray, God, tonight that you would help each and every one of us in this room to take you up on your offer and come and know you and spend time with you. Yet we know that as we do that, we will not be able to help ourselves because you are so awesome that we will be speaking of you and telling others of your greatness. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.